0: This is Rev. Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So, yeah, today we're talking about, again, like, what does it mean to take flight? What does it mean to have things to sort are of to come alive in your life? And, and I think we all have this tender part, I mean, the whole, the whole basic premise of this service is we all have this tender part of our heart that we really, really want to come alive. I mean, just to give you an example, you know, I was talking to one parishioner right before, and I was talking about this tender part, and she's like, wait, Chuck, hold on a second. And she busts out a picture of her grandchild. Like, of course, that's, that's that tender part that we all have and we all can share. Now, it's part within this context of this series, construct, deconstruct, reconstruct. Let's say those three together. Construct, deconstruct, reconstruct. Each part has a lot of good things to it. Like, there's the construct part, which is, which is nice. You know, that's, that's kind of a time of, of certainty where we've put it together. We have all the answers. Life is good. Now, for those of you who are unaware, having all the answers lasts for about five minutes. And then the tech part comes apart. Something happens. Right? The construct part inevitably will shift. And then we end up in a deconstruct part. Now, we all want to hurry up. Like, for me, I'm saying, Lord, I'm fine with the construct. I love the reconstruct. Not so excited about the deconstruct. I want to kind of do a fast trip right across, sort of a jump. Because the reconstruct part is exciting. It's a part where new stuff comes alive. It's, it's where we start to see the opportunities in life before us. It's, it's a very exciting time. But the deconstruct... Fun, yes or no? No, it's not a terribly fun time. It can be challenging, it can be time of a great deal of fear and worry, uncertainty, uh, loss in all kinds of forms can take place there. Sometimes the loss of people we love, sometimes the loss of a job, sometimes the loss of a marriage, sometimes loss of faith. All those things can come together and can create deconstruction. You know, deconstruction, Sometimes it occurs, not all the time, but sometimes it's, it are the, it's those moments where your life was one second before the phone call and then another after the phone call. That's so how you probably know you're in a deconstruct time period. And what we hope is by the end of this series and by the end of this service that you get, yeah, God kind of holds it all. It's hard, it's challenging, and God is there too. God is there as well. Now, to get started on this journey of construct, deconstruct, reconstruct, I want to talk for a minute about that tender part here. And take a look at this question up here, folks. What do you imagine other people's souls or even your own soul, your soul yearns for? So think to that tender part. Think to that yearning that you have, that that deep part, you know, that you have. and, And what does your soul yearn for? And what do you think other people's souls yearn for? that precious part of them. Angela's going to be writing them down here on the board, on a a whiteboard, and then I'm going to be coming around and, and asking you to say it. So I'm going to ask for some volunteers here who'd like to share, and you can just raise your hand and just say, hey, this is what I yearn for, or this is what I imagine other people yearn for. Connection. Excellent. We're going to come right back to that one. Connection's a huge one. Kindness. Kindness. We're going to come back to that one. Kindness. Connection.
1: To be loved and accepted.
0: To be loved and accepted. To feel that place where we are loved, where we are accepted. That's also known, hint, hint, as being home. To be allowed to love. Oh, to be allowed. To be, give permission to love. Like, can we find a place that gives us permission to love? To be part of a team. Part of a team. People want to be part of something. They want to feel like their contributions matter in the big picture. Peace and joy. Peace and joy. Peace and joy. It was interesting. We did a little graph over what people really want for their families. Number one, one was actually joy. Isn't that interesting? To stop worrying about things that don't really matter. <sighs> That's really good. Yeah. <laughs> And write that all down. Stop worrying about things that don't matter. Yeah, we get caught up, right, in the trivial pursuit of life, the stuff that in the end doesn't really matter.
1: Peace in the family.
0: Peace in the family. Joy was number one, wish for families. Peace was number two. All right, I saw one of our wonderful teens up here. Uh, To feel whole. Oh, wholeness. Isn't it interesting? Wholeness, holiness. They all kind of wrap Together, this is good. You guys got some great souls going on here. Should I get to Cheryl here? To find my purpose. To find purpose—that's a big one. To find purpose. To find a different, a greater meaning in life. Faith. Faith. To find faith. This one. Boom. All right. Any other ones down there coming down this way? All right. You too.
1: Embrace variety.
0: Oh, embracing variety. That idea that a variety can actually be a strength.
1: To know that everything's going to be okay.
0: To know that deep knowledge that everything is okay.
1: Courage to know that uh, everything is going to be okay and um, to realize uh, God's purpose for me.
0: Yeah, to realize that. Courage everything's okay. Realize God's purpose. Please give everyone a round of applause there, folks. So that's, that's a wonderful list. And I think as we go through this, we have to keep that in mind, that that really is what's true. You know, we all share that. Appearances to the contrary. It's easy to think that, well, that's just me. No, we all heard it. Right? We all recognize it. I was thinking when Allie said hers, it's one that I like to share a lot. We have a lot of young families here today. And this one author was saying, what is it that we know the most? And what we know the most, so you've heard me say this before, what we know the most is what parents tell their kids anytime there's a thunderstorm. And the kid comes in, creeping into the bedroom at 2 a.m., snuggles in the most protected geography in the world, which is the space between mom and dad, Says they're terrified, and what do mom and dad always say? What do they say? It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. That's part of being able to hold this whole process. So I wanna take that, I wanna take what Angela's written here, these things. And I want to say, all right, let's look at a Bible story that talks about releasing those things, freeing those things, allowing those things to come into being. Because maybe, folks, that's what the deconstruction phase is all about. There is obvious loss in a deconstruction phase. And I think being able to say, yeah, I, I, I'm losing this, this, and this. Saying that, acknowledging it, grieving it. And my experience is this, too. That even in really hard circumstances, God's economy, in ways I can't figure out, in ways that sometimes take decades, sometimes maybe hundreds of years, sometimes maybe lasting well into our time in heaven, is really about freeing us and freeing those things. Yes, loss. But a preciousness, a preciousness being opened as well, deep in our hearts. Now, a story I want to share with you that kind of gets to that is this, is this story about Jesus and the money changers. Now, again, we got a lot of people come from a lot of different Christian perspectives. Some come from many different perspectives. I thought New Church Live, I was listening this morning to NPR, and they were saying, boy, you know, interfaith dialogue is a really good thing. Well, welcome to New Church Live. It's interfaith dialogue in here, folks. Because we have so many different perspectives. So if you don't know about that story, it's a story about Jesus. And it's, it's one of the few times in the Bible where he gets mad. He not only gets mad, he gets furious. Now, the way the story, to set up the story here, you have to picture a big, giant temple, a church. And that particular thing in in the tradition that Jesus was raised in, that particular temple, that was the very center of faith. It was literally the very gateway to heaven. It was the touch point between heaven and earth. Your salvation was directly tied into being part of that, very much like Mecca would be for a Muslim. Taking part in there, taking part in some of their rituals. So, so picture that. Picture this big, beautiful stone temple. The only part left of it is called the Western Wall. Those of you who are history geeks like me, if you want to know. And then outside of it was this big courtyard. Think of kind of the mall at Washington, this big courtyard. People would wait there, they'd do sacrifices, then they'd move into the, what was called the temple courts. They'd move much closer to the temple. They couldn't actually go into the physical temple, but they could come up to it. In between the temple and the people, see it here and here, in between the temple and the people, you had a line of kiosks of people selling sacrifices. So you had to sacrifice something to get it. Very transactional view of God's love. New church is a transformative view, FYI. So you had to sacrifice something. So you had to come up, you had to buy something. And if once you bought that thing, then you could get into the temple, then you could get close to heaven, then you could get close to God, then you could get saved. So what do you think happened to the prices here, folks? Do you think they were high or low? Take a wild guess. High. Think of a monopoly on an airline, right? There's only, there's only one way to get through. And it wasn't just getting through, folks. It wasn't just getting through because, oh, mom, I want to go see the beautiful temple. It was like literally it was the divider between you and salvation. You in heaven. You and God. So these prices were kept exorbitantly high. And if you were a poor person, if you were a poor person, all you could afford was a dove to sacrifice. And that's where we pick up this, this story. Jesus comes in, he sees this line of what's called the money changers, sees this line of money changers selling sacrifices, and he loses it. And this is how that story goes. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. So he comes in, he throws out. And and, you know, as as a young man, and for most of my life up until I started this sermon, you know, I thought the story was all about the money changers. It's all about the money changers. Like, that's about these rotten, horrible people. And they're like, no it has gotta be more to it than that. Jesus doesn't spend a lot of time with anger, and he doesn't spend a lot of time making people wrong, which makes him different from me. Maybe the stories about these doves. Maybe these stories, stories about these doves. Because isn't it fascinating? Isn't it fascinating, folks? For those of you who are aware of the Bible, not everybody is, but, but earlier in this book, this book of Mark, there's this beautiful line about doves. Now take a look at this picture here of doves. When you look at that picture of a dove, doves had shown up before in this story. When you think about these stories, like, like you really have to put yourself in, this is where I get so excited about the Bible because I think it's it's fascinating. These as I've said many times in here, these were oral traditions. So people would have had this book and they literally, it's more like a pamphlet actually, and they would have read through the whole thing. So when you're hearing something being read, you really pay, at least for me, I really pay much closer attention to it. Now when we preach, we just pick this story, this story, this story, so we never see the continuity between the stories. But this is a story where there's definite continuity between them, definite continuity. And this is where we see that, beautiful continuity. This is Jesus being baptized. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. At that moment, heaven opened in the Spirit of God. You're going to say the word dove when I point, it, point to you. The Spirit of God descending like a descending like a dove and lighting on him. Beautiful image there of here, just a few chapters earlier. They would have heard this part of the story maybe 15 minutes before. Yeah, then he, then he took him out in the wilderness. Behind the temple, they took him out to wilderness and they, they baptized him there. And then he came out and, and a dove came down. And then God's voice said, not this is a rotten sinner. God's voice said, this is my beloved. Starting to see it? Fast forward. Jesus walks in. He sees a cage. He sees a dove in that cage. There's a poetic truth there, much larger than the literal truth of it. And that's why he exclaims, if we could flip back a slide, that's why he exclaims this as the, as the story goes on. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a de- you are making it a den of robbers. Do we see that, you know, we see that anger. Really amazing. I mean, hold it. Hold it. New church canon. We believe that the Bible's filled with poetry, filled with a beautiful poetic sense. Yes, you can read it at a superficial level, see beautiful things, but then you just read it one step deeper and it opens up in a new way. Manuel Swedenborg talked about this. He said, What is that dove that was in the cage? Listen to this. The soul's tender yearning for what is good. The soul's tender yearning for what is good. The soul's tender yearning for what is good. That idea, that beautiful idea of, of finding release. Like, imagine life lived in that place, you know, and the relief that we would have if that dove was freed. Spiritus, breath, God words coming together, that spirit descending and filling our lives that those tender yearnings of faith that are so part of that that all of us share here from the, the 5 year old in this audience to the 85 year old, we all share those tender yearnings of faith and the challenge is folks, is, is you know what I find again and again is, is people want back in in some way, they want to re-engage but there's something in the way There's something that's holding them back. It could be any number of things. I I think for me speaking as a guy, sometimes I worry if I tell somebody that I'm a deeply devout Christian and religious, they're going to think I'm corny. Anybody else struggle with that on occasion? (laughs) You know, I do. So vulnerability can be one. Worry, concern. I, I loved back there when it was shared, like, like the, the sort of the trivial pursuit of life, the minutiae can become a block, can become a cage that keeps that caged in. Can money worries do it? Please say yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Money worries can do it. And I think devastating loss. When we go through loss, it's, it's really heartrending. It can get in the way of that as well. And churches can stand in the way. Churches can actually be, sometimes, and I imagine the same is for other faiths as well, can actually get in the way. I met with one of our young families who had a number of other young families over for a wonderful meal. We were talking about this topic. And one of the young people shared something so beautiful. This is somebody who wants a way back in. And as I said last week, he felt the first family, he couldn't, because he felt that to join church with some of the current um, worries was a form of toxic complicity. Like If he said yes to church, he was saying yes to a number of things he didn't agree with that he didn't think were right. And he said he still sings church songs to his kids at night. the dove right there in a cage right there so how how do we do that i mean that whole part of this sermon maybe comes down to just this little crux this little point of how do we actually re-engage this because this is good this is really good one of the main theologians today out there in the world, a guy by the name of Brian McLaren, he said, the problem is if we don't reach into that, what he sees all the time is people who can't quite reach into it. So so they so they opt out. And he said, No problem with opting out. Like if that's the call you feel you have to make to survive for your soldier to survive, get it. But this is what he said, and I thought, man, it 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 like brings in my ear, like, yeah, you know, that's something for me to think about. Oftentimes we opt out we're not opting out for something better. We're opting out for Facebook. (laughs) We're opting out for what he called benign consumerism. In other words, we'll just go about our lives, doing our things, but we're just going to do it with a smile on our face. But nothing's changed. Nothing's transformed. The world has not taken a step forward. And we have not become... Agents of joy, of peace, of healing. So that's something I think I know I need to think about, and I think that's something we all need to sort of have in our lives. When we opt out, are we opting out for something better? Or are we just opting out? Or are we just opting out? Because this matters. This matters, and it matters that we find ways to free it. Now, the good news slash bad news, or bad news slash good news, not quite sure how to put it, is I really do believe this. I believe in my soul that God will deconstruct anything that gets in the way, as it says up there in the top left, that gets in the way of connection. Eventually, those things go. It doesn't happen in one year or two years. Oftentimes, it's decades. I, I think, for example, of Eva Kaur. How many of us got to hear Eva Kaur two years ago? Holocaust survivor. Eva Kor had this, this rage within her. She had seen her, her, her family killed. She lost her sister because her sister had been experimented on, had medical issues that eventually cost her sister her life. And she's in her 50s. You know, 40-plus years after these events... And she finally realized, like, something needed released. And the only way to do that was forgiveness. That's powerful stuff. That's God's time. See, love and slowness go together. I'm going to come back on this. It was such a good point. I, I want to talk about it again. I'm actually going to do a whole sermon on it because I thought it was so good. We walk, excuse me, Christ walks at three miles per hour. We walk at six. And that's the challenge. We're going so fast that we we don't sort of slow down enough to find this ability to connect, to allow God to do his work to free these things. And that's what deconstruction, I think, a lot of the time is doing. It's actually freeing something. Even in folks' really hard surfaces, like more than once, I've, I've seen been as a pastor in circumstances that were just heartbreaking, just like took my breath away, heartbreaking. Like literally, and I don't mean this sacrilegiously, literally, like, oh my God. More than once. And at every single one of those, a preciousness, a love. even with a broken heart. Somehow released. A miracle. I mean, a miracle to me. Because that's what God is doing. That's what God is up to. Take a look at this line as the story goes on. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. So this boundary falls. And as it falls, these people come to Christ for healing. I mean, folks, just sit with that. That should almost make you a little teary. The dove's now free. The blind and the lame now able to feel the Lord's touch, to feel the feeling of healing in their lives. I mean, what a powerful symbol that is for what we can be, what churches can be. It echoes, you know, the beautiful line from the Old Testament, a line that Christ talked about a lot, which is, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now, what folks, of course, can get in the way, what can get in the way is idolatry. Idolatry happens when we give ultimate allegiance to something that should only be serving an intermediate purpose. In other words, we fall in love with a given structure, and churches can do that. You know, to bring this home, like I was thinking, all right, if I was interviewing one of the money changers that morning, before Christ overturned their tables, ruined their businesses, what would they have said? If I went up to them and said, like, oh, tell me about your faith, they would have said, oh, it's a, it's, it's a pretty basic faith. Like, like people come here and then they buy these things from us and then we give them and that becomes the sacrifice and then they can go on and they can, they can, they can approach God then. I mean, that's, that would have been their explanatory style of how it works. That would have been their religion of sorts for those money changers. They would have seen it in those kiosks. Like, yes, that is what religious faith is. They would have seen that in that structure. Not seeing that structure as a cage. Do you see that? Like, not quite seeing that structure as a cage. Because I'm sure some of them at least were well intentioned. Like, here's a service, I'm going to do it and make a little money on the side. This makes perfect sense. That's what happens when we fall in love with structures instead of people. So it happens when we fall in love with structures instead of people. Because there's a second explanatory style around what faith is. A consistent message of new church is this. Churches and church is an individual thing and a corporate thing. It's both in here and out there. They don't fall because people don't get the truth right. It falls because they don't get the heart right. Here's a quote. The end of the church comes, and this is really poignant. Listen to this. The end is in done, finished. The end of the church comes where there is no faith because there is no caring. Where there is no faith because there is no caring. Do you see the beautiful synergy there between faith and caring? If we care, we'll learn to have faith. If we'll have faith, we'll care. Faith and love going one one and one together. There's, there's a great deal of beauty there. As I was thinking about this, so I think, and I'm going to read a little bit here, I think what this is saying is that the structure is not the church. Like those kiosks, that's what Jesus was saying. This is not the church, the church of our hearts. This is not the church. The caring the structure of the church serves is. The caring that the structure of the church serves is. Because it's not saying no church or no temple or none of that. It's it's saying these structures are our means to an end. That's how we avoid idolatry. We aren't worshiping the structures, but we see structural things as ways that move us into what is essential, what is the most important. And so it's not about a structure that limits access to God. It's about a structure that gets us right back to that. Not a structure that keeps us away from that. Please listen carefully to that. Not a structure that imprisons that. Not a structure that puts that far away and puts church in between you and it. But a structure that hand-to-hand goes, I'm going to help you. We're all in it together. I need help. You need help. We're all in it together. It's one to another. That is reengage. Could I please get a little amen? <laughs> amen. Like, that's what reengaging is. That's why reengagement matters as we start to create those human chains of love that can connect to that in churches and synagogues and temples and mosques, all kinds of beautiful organizations can be part of that part of that release I went down to Philly on Friday I see a beautiful couple, Aaron and Derek and their beautiful little baby Zoe and this couple, you know, they're talking about the wishes for their, for their baby, the wishes for their child, and, and, and it's so obvious that, that this is this language that we share. And they're excited because they feel like they have a church that can help them with that. And, and I think there are so many that can, and we just have to keep the structures in the right place. So we're constantly looking at this reengaging because when that dove gets released... It's incredibly beautiful. Where we see caring coming to the forefront. And and church is a way to support that. Wow, what a beautiful way to re-engage. I want to show you a video of this. And this isn't like a, a, a church video per se. We're going to see someone go through a church process with it. But you're clearly going to see somebody who has their life in a construct phase. And then they go through a deconstruct phase, this one around, around a, a medical condition, actually. And then you're going to see a reconstruct that happens on the back end. And I want you paying attention to this line. At the end of the video, the young man says, we all get one gift, the same gift. I want you to look at this video, and just for yourself think, what is that gift? Take a look. We end the week with a teachable moment from Steve Hartman on the road. A good teacher
1: will do almost anything for a student. All right, so we're good so far. But few have gone so far as Donna Hoagland, teacher at Marsh Point Elementary in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Not too too. <laughs> it all started when Donna noticed a change in one of her fourth graders, Troy Volk. Oh, look. And it did affect his morning behavior, he was just shut down at times. She suspected there was a reason. For- she suspected there was something going on. So she asked me if anything had changed at home. This is Troy's mother, Anahita. She told Donna the truth, that for the past year she's been in stage 5 kidney failure. You okay, babe? Pain. She has this severe pain almost daily. And because she has a rare blood type, the odds of finding a kidney donor are slim. When my parents told me about the kidney, Kidney failing stuff, I was getting a little down. What was your worst fear? My mom not getting kidney ever. As you can see, Troy has tried to keep a brave front. I can't believe it. Fortunately, he found a friend in Donna. I really just hate it. No, buddy. She's been there for him every step of the way. To think what he must go through, seeing his mom, being sick all the time, that's not fair. And you felt like you could fix that? I can. Turns out Donna has the same rare blood type. So, unbeknownst to Troy's family, she spent months researching how to become a kidney donor and then called up Anahita for the best parent-teacher conference of all time. I'm like, what are you talking about? She turns around and she's like, we're a match. How do you say thank you? You can't. You really can't. The transplant happened over Christmas break, and today everyone is doing well. Donor, recipient, and the boy. They both cherish. The one thing I love about my mom's kidney transplant What's that? Is that we all have get a gift. The same gift. It's not a gift that can be wrapped in a present. It's like a miracle. A perfect match is a miracle. Of course, the other miracle is Donna and teachers like her. What's up? Who love our children as their own. Cheers for mommy's new kidney. No, they don't all give up their kidneys. But make no mistake, teachers save us parents every day. Steve Hartman, on the road, in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. That they do, every day.
0: That's that's an incredibly beautiful, beautiful video. So I again, I love the young man's lines there, right? We all get one gift, the same gift. I'm going to come over here. We all get one gift, the same gift. And you look at this list that we came up with, and you think about how many pieces of this list were lived, were freed. There was connection. There was kindness. There was being loved and accepted. There was being embraced. There was faith. There was permission to love. Part of a team, there was peace, joy. All stop worrying about the little stuff. I mean, like you just go down the list. The dove got freed in that picture. I think, folks... That's what this series is about, and that's what deconstruction starts to do. It is painful. It's a painful phase to go through. But maybe this. Maybe just keep your eye on the prize. Keep your eye on where God's going. Keep your eye what in the end is true? Amen. What I want to do now is I want to close with a prayer. You'll have the opportunity to say your own prayer or the Lord's Prayer as you know it or just have a moment of quiet reflection. Then we're going to do the last song. And I'm really going to ask, I love this last song. I love it. It's All Fly Away, which is a great song. All right? We ask you if you want to stand up and sing that song with the band, you're more than welcome to. It's a great, again, a great way to end. And then, of course, we're going to end after that with the Eagles Fight Song because we have to. All right? So please join me in a prayer. Lord, thank you for your presence here among us. Thank you, Lord for holding us in this process of construct, deconstruct, reconstruct. Help us, Lord, when we sit in that place of deconstruction just to sit with the tenderness, with the quietness, with the gentleness, even with hearts broken. Allow us to be there, Lord, and allow us, Lord, to always remember that someday, someday soon, we too will fly away. Amen.